Hello, and welcome to the rest of the sermon, a deeper dive into the weekly lessons I share with my congregation. This episode will focus on Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. If you'd like to hear the full sermon, please follow the link that is provided in the show notes. Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 says, An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, How have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. I have made his hill country a desolation and his heritage a desert for jackals. If Edom says, We are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, They may build, but I will tear down, until they are called the wicked country, the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. The central question we will focus on today revolves around this idea of God's first proclamation. I have loved you. In Malachi, we find uh, over and over that this is the pattern. It's, it's a setup to be an argument. God makes a declaration. Israel objects to this declaration. And then God explains further what that declaration meant. Today, God starts off by saying, I have loved you. I wanted to focus on this, uh, this aspect of love because I think it's something that we struggle with even today. God goes on to use the story of Jacob and Esau and even use a word that, if we're honest, probably makes some of us twinge in this scripture, and that's the word hate. The scripture says that I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. So I want to I dive in a little bit with this question or this idea around the notion of God's love for us. And I want to pose a, another question to you, and that is this. Since we believe in a loving God, does he cause harm to groups um, he's angry with? Or did Jesus' sacrifice do away with this Old Testament angry God? I start with this question because I believe it lays out a premise that uh, many churchgoers would agree with. And that is this idea that in the Old Testament we have a vengeful, a wrathful God, an angry God even. But then in the New Testament we see something different. We have this incarnation, God in the flesh. And He doesn't look like that at all. In fact, He goes to great lengths to show us just how not like that He really is. He reaches out to the poor, to the leper, to the least of these, and even teaches those who follow him, that is who your audience is. Speaking of audience, it's important also for us to realize and to remember that in this book, we're going to be walking through this book for the next few episodes, but in this book in particular, the audience is the church, the people on the inside, not the people on the outside. God is going to be talking through Malachi about what he sees that is going wrong inside the church. And we'll dig into that a little more when we get there. But now, back to this question. Since we believe in a loving God, does he cause harm to groups he's angry with? Or did Jesus' sacrifice do away with this Old Testament angry God? To answer this question, we're going to lean on the Christian doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Put simply, what that means is that 
you and I both owe a debt to God. We realize now that it's a debt that we can't pay. There's nothing that we can do that could justify grace, justify mercy, justify the love that God shows, demonstrates, has for us. And so in order to to be able to facilitate that, God came onto earth in in the flesh, in the form of Jesus, who lived this perfect life, who taught by example, who taught by parable, who showed us, modeled to us what this perfect life of love could look like. But then he was caught, caught up, if you will. He was crucified, died on a cross to pay the price for your sin and for my sin. And so he, in essence, became the substitute. And so because of that, we don't owe that debt any longer. That's the idea behind substitutionary atonement. And I think it's safe to say that if you're listening to this podcast, if you've listened to the sermon, we we can probably all agree that throughout his life, the life of Jesus and his ministry, that he makes it clear that he viewed his death as a sin-bearing substitute for humanity. There's not a, a lot of question there, I don't think. There may be questions around other theories of atonement and what that might look like, but we're going we're gonna to focus here for our, uh, our conversation today. And I want to sit here for a minute and talk about this question. Do we serve a loving God? I don't know how we could come to any conclusion other than, well, of course we do. And, and for a lot of us, that is rooted in this idea, this life of Christ, the Savior who came and walked on the earth. But what about the people of Israel? What about these devout believers who had experienced exile, who had been kicked out of the promised land, who had been turned over to Babylon, if you will, sacrificed to them so that they could come in because God's people were not following the rules? What about them? What was their experience? Did they experience a loving God or did they experience a God who was wrathful, who was looking for vengeance? Obviously, we can't know, but what we can know if we look back through uh, the pages of history, I believe, is that what we see is a God who always, always has been in pursuit of of us. Even thinking about this idea of the exile, why were they exiled in the first place? Because they weren't following the rules. They weren't meeting the expectation. They weren't living uh, by the same rules. They weren't running the same plays. If you're a sports fan, is what God was calling, what God had desired. All the way back to the garden, what was the one premise, this idea God would come down to creation and walk with Adam and Eve and be in relationship with? But they couldn't follow the rule. And so they were kicked out. And this separation was brought into the world. For Adam and Eve, it looked like a literal separation. It was being forced out of a garden, an angel placed there with a fiery sword, uh, essentially standing guard, keeping them out. And from that point on, they moved further and further east away from the garden. Thinking about the life of Jesus, there's another uh, historical event that happens that we just celebrated a few weeks ago 
Um, and that would be this event of, of Easter. We celebrate the event of the resurrection of Christ. But of course, before the resurrection happened, there had to be a death. And for Christ, that death played out in the form of a crucifixion. And during this crucifixion, something very interesting happens. Of course, we have uh, history unfolding just as Jesus had predicted that it would. But at the very moment of death, across Jerusalem, on the other side, in the temple, a phenomenon happens. The veil, the veil that separates the rest of the temple from what is known as the Holy of Holies, that veil is torn into, thus symbolizing the gate being reopened for you and for I to be able to commune with God, to have relationship with God. So since we believe in a loving God, does He cause harm to groups He's angry with, or did Jesus' sacrifice do away with this Old Testament angry God? Perhaps I would pose a different question to you. Maybe the question I would pose to you is, was God ever this angry, vengeful, Old Testament God we make Him out to be? Or was it always just in response to the actions of humans like you and I? Do we serve a loving God? I would argue that if God's unwarranted pursuit of our rebellious souls isn't enough proof of His love for us, then nothing will ever suffice. I'd like to invite you to open up your Bible. I'm going to take you to uh, a verse that you can find in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 8 to be specific. It'll be a couple verses, not just one. We're going to start, though, with verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his son but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Think about that for a minute. This God who we ask the question, is he vengeful? Is he a loving God? Is the same God who gave up his son so that you and I those sinners we might be, would once again be able to commune, to fellowship, to have relationship with Him. You see, the reality for me is that if God does nothing else for me in my life, at this point, that I've still gotten more than I ever deserved. So in moments like this, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of Uh, isolation and quarantining and social distancing when the questions pop up in our mind and we wonder to ourselves, how could God let this happen? How could God sit by idly and watch and, and do nothing? I think we have to remind ourselves, we have to turn back, just as God made the case to the people whom Malachi was speaking to. Remember, I have loved you, but you will say, how have you loved me? And to us, God would simply say, Jesus. And when we hear that name, when we hear that name, does it do anything to you? 
Does it move you? Are you reminded of the example that was given? The example that was set? Something else that I realize in our context today that I think was true then as well. I think it plays out in scriptures and the gospels. That there was a mindset of us versus them. There had been lines drawn in the sand. We had staked out our claim. We are the believers, the rightful heirs to the throne that God has has laid down. We are God's chosen people. And then you have everybody else. But Jesus walks in and he, he flips that paradigm upside down. He said it's the everybody else who you should be looking for. It's the everybody else, the outcast, the ones that people, society had turned their back on. It's the everybody else who is your audience. And so friends, I ask you today, what would happen? What would happen if we dared to love our neighbors the same way that God loves us? What would happen if we remembered the fact that we will never look into the eyes of someone who God does not love? Think about that for a minute. What would happen if we embraced the model of love that says we reach our hand out to the other, we reach our hand out to the rejected, to the despised, and we say, come, be with me. We say, I see you, I know you, I value you. And maybe even if we dare to dream a little, we say, I love you, just as God loves each of us. Do we serve a loving God? I hope that answer is apparent. As we continue to walk through the book of Malachi, I will warn you now, there's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some difficulty. You're going to hear things, see things, read things, and think, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to do with this? And what I hope you do is tune in and listen for the rest of the sermon. Take care. Take care of one another. I love you all. God bless.